again, and uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can take those out and turn to Acts, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 9, verse 19. I just want to say a quick word about our pastoral prayer time. Uh, if you're new here, you may have thought that was quite a long prayer, but one of the things I was impressed with when I first came to Grace Fellowship uh, was that the moment of prayer, especially pastoral prayer, is not hurried, because um, it shouldn't be. Um, we take time, because it's important. <laughs> We're talking to God. I'm thankful in this church it's not treated as a, a, a time of transition or anything like that, but rather it's treated seriously. And, uh, and so that's why we do that, if you're new here and wondering. So, you got your Bibles, Acts 9. Last week, Carlton Brown covered a huge event in the book of Acts with, as you heard me pray, the apostles that would now we, we know as Paul. He was Saul. Uh, Saul has come to faith in Christ. He's joined the way. And, uh, and that's what the early Christian movement was known as. And so now, in our passage this morning, we'll see right after that what Luke writes about his uh, now coming uh, in with the church, being being brought together with, with the saints. So let's read our text this morning. It'll speak for itself. <clears throat> we're going to pick up. You should have a heading there in the middle of verse 19. So we're going to start with the end of verse 19. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and of those who called upon his name, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how on the road uh, he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So that's our text for today, and, uh, and if you're taking notes, uh, today's message is, is going to be entitled, All In, All In. And the reason is because that's what we see here in this passage. Uh, after Paul's conversion, the text tells us that he began preaching Jesus as the Son of God and confounding the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ, And we see in the text that this brought forth backlash in the form of persecution against him. And the persecution was actually so bad that he had to flee uh, Damascus and then flee Jerusalem. So 
Saul has gone from the guy who was putting Christians on the run to actually now being a Christian himself on the run. It's important that you, as we begin, that we understand something. Um, and this, will, this, this matters in, in, in our whole framing this up this morning. All the opposition that we see coming against Saul, and we'll continue to see for the remainder of his life, wasn't just because he had quit his assault on Christians. It wasn't just because he had attended a, a Christian gathering. It wasn't just because he had entered into dialogue with Christians about who Christ was. It wasn't even just because he converted to Christianity. Rather, don't miss this, all of this is happening to Saul because he has gone all in. All in. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this phrase that I'm using, all in. So let me give you an illustration. Every year, around 10,000 people flock to Las Vegas, and they put up $10,000 for an entry fee into the biggest poker tournament in the world. It's called the World Series of Poker. And some of you are familiar with this because they began airing it on ESPN around 2005, and as a 16-year-old, I remember watching countless hours of the World Series of Poker with my dad. And he would explain to me the different hands and how the game worked. But by far, the most exciting thing about this poker game was the moment a guy would go all in. Now, this meant he believed he had the best cards at the table. So he would push all of his chips to the center of the table and he would say, all in. Now, this is exciting because this meant that either he's going home or he's going to at least double his chips, which would give him a huge advantage in the game. And it was these moments that made the World Series of Poker so exciting to watch. You know, ESPN didn't normally televise the tables where everyone was playing it safe and just trying to stay in the game. They televise the all-in moments. See, all-in moments are exciting because there's nothing left to fall back on. There's no plan B. Like, there is no net under the tightrope. There's no trying it out to see if you like it. When you're all-in, you're all-in. So this morning, I want us to glean, first from our text, what it meant for Paul to be all in. Two things we, very, we see very clearly in the text is his preaching and his persecution, right? Check out the text. Verse 20 tells us that he, what? Immediately proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't waste any time. Verse 22 says that he was confounding the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This meant, Taylor, that he was dialoguing and debating with them, right, about why they believe the Christ, this is good. Then if we look to verse 28, we see that he's in Jerusalem, boldly preaching the name of Jesus. Then in verse 29, disputing against the Hellenists. So this man is preaching, proclaiming, proving, and disputing, making it obvious that he's all in. But we also see the immediate pushback of his message and proclamation. We see his character questioned in verse 21. And in verse 23... 
already a plot against his life. We see his disciples sneak him out of the city and take him to Jerusalem. Verse 26 tells us that in Jerusalem, they were scared of him. Now, how tough was this to deal with? I mean, you go all in, and those who are supposed to be on your team walk away from you. And then by verse 29, the Hellenists are wanting to kill him and making him flee to a third city. You remember last week from our text that Jesus told Ananias, what? He said, I will show this man how much he must suffer for my name. I would consider two death threats in two cities, not long after your conversion, pretty intense suffering. Now, while that's what we observe from the text, we've got to ask this question. It's an important question. How was it that Paul became all in? And we could take our time this morning and look at, yes, he was all in, and this is what we see evidence of that. But I want to get beneath that and go, how did he become all in? What compelled this man to leave his reputation behind and risk everything? Like to abandon his achievement and rank. To go from the man who's leading the mob to becoming the man who's the target of the mob. This is your first point. Firstly, I believe that he was convinced. He was convinced. He was convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. See, Paul was a Jewish man who had so much knowledge about Judaism. Just as much knowledge as anybody had about Judaism. He probably had large sections of the Old Testament memorized, and his entire life was conducted to live in strict accordance with the Jewish law, but he was missing something. He was missing something. Church, imagine you uh, decorate your entire house at Christmas time with Christmas lights. I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christmas lights. And when I said that, some of you went, you're thinking, no, we don't get into the Christmas light game. But just imagine with me, think with me, you have strands upon strands upon strands up on the roof, draped across the eaves, wrapped around the post, out in the yard. And then once you're done, you get out in your yard at about 8 p.m. and look at all of it. And you're looking at all of it, you're taking it in, but you're thinking to yourself, something's missing. Something's missing. And then your neighbor walks up beside you as you're looking at your own house, and he says, uh, hey, uh, neighbor, are, are you going to plug them in? Oh, that's it. I need to plug them in. So you go over, you plug these lights in, and boom, glory on display. Church, this is what conversion was like for the Apostle Saul. This is what it was like. He had all the lights, everything in place, but he didn't have Jesus. Now, having come to faith in Christ, every bulb makes sense. Every story that he's been taught makes sense. Every law makes sense. Every proverb makes sense. It all makes so much sense now to him. And it's magnificent. 
so magnificent that this man will spend the rest of his life writing for us all the glory of Christ in 13 books of your Bible, revealing his person, his work, his preeminence, his sufficiency, his heart, his will, and his kingdom, and on and on and on. And I want you, I always want want to try this this morning, I want you to see some of these bulbs that are probably popping off in Saul's head right now as he realizes the weight and burden of the law that he could never keep but always pretended to as he writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. As he thinks about the resurrection, which he's always hoped for and worked hard to attain in his own strength, he writes 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. (laughs) As he realizes That God has entered into a new covenant with his people through his son. He writes 2 Corinthians 3. We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over our face. Rather, we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from the same image from one degree to another. (laughs) As he rethinks his entire understanding of justification. Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Church, as he realizes that this was God's plan all along before time ever began. And he writes Ephesians 1.3-10. This one's a little long. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before us. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth to himself. You see these bulbs that Paul's seeing, that Saul is seeing? And even when he thinks about all that he has accomplished in light of the gospel, he pins Philippians 3.8. I count it everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. (laughs) Church, we could go on and on and on. And I actually did in my notes. I couldn't stop this week. It was, it was just too good. But we've got to move. But I want you to see that much more impactful and even brighter than the light that shone down from heaven that blinded him was this truth of Christ that was being embedded into his heart. It was changing him. He wasn't being changed by his discipline alone or his very strict understanding of the law and sticking to it or conservative Jewish lifestyle, or even his religious activities. No, 
he was being changed by becoming convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. Church, if you're struggling in your walk with Christ or you're sitting here this morning and you can't say, I think uh, I'm all in, then it's because you need to be convinced. You need to be convinced once again about who Jesus is and what he has done. Our biggest problem is not a knowledge problem. Most of you can reel off plenty of theology and facts about God. Rather, our biggest problem is a believing problem. We believe in this moment, but in the next we lack faith. So here's the deal. We must be convinced year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day, church, even moment after moment of who Christ is and what he has done. Done. But I also want you to know that this convincing speaks more to than just head knowledge. This knowledge for Saul led to a deep and personal, intimate relationship and community with God. This knowledge for Saul led to uh, his whole life. His whole life had been cold, hard, set in his ways, and prideful. That's what the knowledge he had had led him to. But now this knowledge of Jesus was leading him to a much different place. It was leading him to closeness with his person, the person of Christ. A lot of you probably remember the old hymn written in 1912. It gets at this point very, very well. It's called In the Garden. It says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known. (laughs) Church, that's what it means to be all in. When you're all in with Jesus and his mission, you're not going to the garden for anyone else. And you're not neglecting the garden. You're abiding in him. You're loving him. You're trusting him. You're listening to him. You're meeting with him. You're laboring alongside him. Saul didn't just have his theology changed upon conversion, church. He had his heart changed. And he entered into a real relationship with the living God. He walked with him. And Saul was convinced. Convinced. But he wasn't just convinced. After becoming mesmerized by the awesomeness of Jesus, he was then confronted by the lostness of those without him. You hear that? He was mesmerized by who Jesus was, but then he was confronted by the lostness of those without him. And it was this that led him to be convicted that all people must hear and believe the good news. So Paul was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, the Christ, and this convincement led him to being convicted over the loss. Church, you know the only way that you can have the cure for cancer and not share it is if you're not convicted 
that people are suffering and dying from this disease. If you allow yourself to remain ignorant to the fact that families are losing mommies and daddies and babies to this wretched disease, only if you stop your ears to the hurt and pain of millions of people who are affected by this awful and devastating sickness, could you keep the cure to cancer a secret? The same can be said of those who have the good news of Christ that makes people new, that delivers them from eternal death, that reunites them with their God, that frees them from bondage and corruption, that blesses them with the eternal spirit, the helper that comforts, brings peace and understanding and reveals to them the purpose for which they were created. So so get this. You might think that I'm being kind if you see me help a blind person across a busy intersection. You might think, man, he's, he's, he's such a kind person. Look at him. But what happens when you find out that I actually have the power to make them see again? And rather than make them see again, I'm just helping them across the road. You probably had a bit of a different perspective at that point. And you should. Church, here's the point I'm getting at. May we not be a people that merely help other people be comfortable and happy in their short 80 years on this earth, knowing that when they die, they will suffer forever and ever and ever at the hands of an almighty God. May their hopeless state convict our hearts in a way that compels us to be all in and preach the gospel just like it did for Saul. Just like it did for Saul. One of the obstacles, I think, to this is that Satan for the last 2,000 years has been trying his hardest, scheming his best ways possible to try to get the church from going all in. And man, he's subtle, isn't he? I mean, he, he tries to derail us from this by, by getting us to, to, to fix our eyes or focus on other good things. He wants us to be more concerned with politics. More concerned with legislation against gross sin. More concerned with our wealth and our health. More concerned with our future. More concerned with what they think or what she said or preferences and on and on. Anything he can do to get us from going and being all in with our concern for Jesus and his mission, making disciples of all nations. But when we are convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and when that convincement of Jesus meets a desperate and hopeless world, we will go all in, much like Saul. As we end this section, I want you to hear His heart pinned in Romans 9. 
He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my Jewish brothers to come to know him. You see, Saul knows that his fellow Jewish brothers have the Christmas lights hung, but they've not plugged them in. So he doesn't go about admiring their work. He goes and he pleads with them. Plug them in. Come to Christ. That's what it means to be all in. When your convincement of Christ meets the desperation of the world, you will become convicted. It's this conviction that all people must hear the good news that led Saul to preach and come under persecution. And it's the same thing, church, that when we're faithful to preach this news will cause us to come under persecution in different forms. Now, here's where we're going to end today, right where the text does. If we are going to be all in, people who are convinced and convicted, then we must be people who are connected, connected to the body of Christ. Staying convinced of Jesus as the Son of God and convicted to preach this message cannot be sustained unless you are connected to the body of Christ. Paul goes to the church at Jerusalem. That's what we read in the text. And people are standoffish. Rightly so. I mean, last time this guy was in Jerusalem, he was ravaging the church. Along with a mob that murdered Stephen. The church in Jerusalem had even more to overcome than the church at Damascus because the church in Jerusalem were victims of his wickedness and sin. I can't imagine how hard it is for the Jerusalem church to hear his name, much less see his face as he tries to show up at their gatherings. Can you imagine that? No. No, he can't be here. I don't care what's changed. He has destroyed our lives. We have nothing because of him. You know, sometimes we we can be naive and think that the early church wasn't like us in the way that they naturally responded to things. There's no doubt when they see this man back in their midst, it brings forth feelings of anger, fear, and pain. So we see in the text, he's not welcome. They don't believe he's a disciple. But this is so good. In Scripture, you guys probably heard Carlton and others talk about this. We have these be- this beautiful phrase. Beautiful phrase. It's all over the Scriptures. But one of the most famous places this beautiful phrase is, is in Ephesians 2. When Saul will later write how we're dead in our trespasses, children of wrath, having no hope. And then he turns and says, verse 4, what? But God. <laughs> and we have it already three times in the book of Acts. When, when, when Peter is preaching his sermon in Acts 2 and in Acts 3, he says, you killed the Son of God, the author of life. And then he follows it up with, but God raised him from the dead. <laughs> And then when Stephen is preaching his sermon, recounting the story of Joseph, he says the brothers are sold him into slavery, but God was with him. And now I don't want you to miss this. 
This is so good. Look at verse 27. Saul is being given the stiff arm by those in the church who he sinned against. And the scriptures tell us in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So get this church, we have but God throughout all of scripture, but right here we have a but Barnabas. (laughs) Church, God is using his people empowered by his spirit to carry out his mission, to stand in the gap, to advocate like Barnabas is doing here on others' behalf, to find his lost sheep and get them connected to his body, the church. And let me assure you, you may be thinking this, let me assure you, but Barnabas doesn't take any glory away from our God. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It glorifies him all the more as his work is put on display through redeemed vessels that he has chosen and called to himself by himself. (laughs) It glorifies him all the more. Because Barnabas isn't doing this in his own strength or his own power. It's God compelling him through his spirit to carry out his work. But Barnabas, church, remember, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. While others are grieving, still bitter and hurt, In Jerusalem, by what Saul had done to them and their community, Barnabas is seeing it through the lens of the gospel. He's embracing Saul, much like Christ embraced him. Things like this can only be done through a radical miracle of grace that Jesus alone can perform. (laughs) You know what's wild? This was wild. I've never connected these dots until this week. That later on, Saul and Barnabas, when they become missionary partners, they'll be divided. You know why they're divided? Because once again, Barnabas is advocating for a man named Mark. (laughs) Praise God for Barnabas. Church, may we be people who are connected and live to connect others to God's church. And may the stories be written for us to read one day in heaven. Anthony was on a destructive path, but Tater. Tina didn't fit in, wasn't well liked by others, but Amy. (laughs) Jacob's marriage was falling apart, he was fed up. But Hayden, Kristen was trying to find love and acceptance in all the wrong ways. But Anna, (laughs) and from this, our God will get all the glory and we will laugh and sing of his goodness for eternity. Church, let us be convinced of the grand person and work of Jesus, enamored by his power and majesty, and our hearts melted by his loving kindness, because it's only then that we will be convicted as individuals and a body to do whatever it takes 
to get the gospels to those who haven't heard it. We will preach, we will give, we will go, we will send, we will pray that every tongue would confess Jesus as Lord. And as they confess him, we will connect them to his body, the church. Saul went from the worst of the worst to now a convinced, convicted, and connected member of Christ's body. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, this is so good and how it has encouraged my heart, God, and, and been used as fuel for your spirit in me, God, to be convinced myself more and more every day, God, of who you are. God, and as that worship happens, and I believe, God, and it meets the desperate state of this world, God, I would be convicted God, may it be for us. May it be for Grace Fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Bruce is going to come.